What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. We got Phil here and Kalen, and we've got a special guest uh, for you guys before we introduce him. What's up, buddy? What's going on, man? I'm uh, happy to be back, and I'm really excited to hear uh, about y'all's story because it's it's hunting season, man, and that's what we're out doing. This is uh, this is the season, so it is. The season. Um, everybody's out hunting. Everybody's out doing stuff like that, and and um, it's it's just uh, I look forward to this time of year, like all the rest of the year. So, so. Um... Yeah, dude, I, I think now that I've been doing this, this is going into my fourth year. I'm definitely like I got hooked last year, but like, I mean, every year that I just have these experiences, I get more and more hooked into uh, the craft of trying to learn um, how to be a, you know, a backcountry or just a, a sufficient hunter. Mm-hmm. And the special guest that we have here uh, grew up doing this, which is super freaking cool to be able to um, learn from him the last few weeks and talk with him. And I'm excited to get him uh, in front of our guests uh, because I think, I think we've talked about there's a lot of people pay a lot of money for an experience like this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was afforded the opportunity to only not only come here for a job opportunity, but then stay here, but then meet him through our uh, community. It's just been, it's just been super special. So uh, I'm excited to talk, and share uh, our elk hunt um, with uh, with you, Kalen, and, and uh, our guys. But um, for those that uh, are listening to the podcast for the first time, welcome to the Modern Day Cyber Podcast. We are a podcast that deals with and talks about um, the most relevant information that we can about long-range shooting um, in regards to whatever uh, application you intend on using long-range for. You know, specifically, our aim was, you know, military in uh, law enforcement snipers. And then we've uh, organically kind of attracted um, hobbyists or enthusiasts as well as long range hunters uh, and also competitors. Um, but uh, welcome back if you guys have uh, listened to us and we appreciate everyone's support. But uh, yeah, this podcast today that we're going to be talking about is uh, surrounding my elk hunt as well as our special guest, um, Clayton Creel, who is sitting right next to me. What's up, buddy? Oh, not a lot. Just, uh, just talking on a podcast, a little nervous and, uh, Phil's probably going to talk me up. I just want to let everybody know I'm not an expert. <laughs> I, I, I grew up hunting and stuff, but, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's one of those things, man, that like when, when we look at what it is, um, that you guys did, if you didn't grow up doing that, that's a big deal. Right. It's a big ordeal, um, pecking in on, on horseback and mules with, with all the things is a big deal. And, um, people that have never seen that done before, when they actually witness the event they they look at it and they quickly understand this is a lot of work. And the only way that you're going to get that work done efficiently is by doing it and being raised and, um, and grow up around it. I don't even like, I'm, I've done a couple of pack hunts, but I'm, I'm just a passenger, right? I'm just utilizing that to get me to where I got to go. Um, I'm not a horseman. I can do, I can do some basic things with horses and stock and help out. But outside of that, I'm along for the ride. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I feel super fortunate that the, uh, you guys wanted me on here and uh, yeah, a lot of stuff I'll 
talk about experiences or relate to experiences. And that's just my limited experience. Like there's a lot of old timers that live out here that have been doing it their whole lives. And they're a lot older than me. I'm 27. I'd consider those guys, you know, experienced enough to be a, an expert, but, uh, like you guys have a lot of good knowledgeable people on your podcast, like the, uh, optics one, the last one, I'm like, man, there's all these like super knowledgeable guys. And so anyways, I feel really, uh, fortunate to be on here with you guys so yeah we're talk, glad to have you man yeah let's so let's talk uh, about growing up in wyoming let's talk about how uh you know because you're pretty much other than uh moving here i think you when you were three it's, mm-hmm. uh, sure yep. i can't remember but uh you in theory grew up here in wyoming how's that like yeah i grew up uh, uh, as long as i can remember my parents got divorced when i was three um still have a good relationship with my my dad and that side of the family in georgia and then uh uh, from there on, if I talk about my dad, it'll be my, uh, stepdad in Wyoming that, that raised me since I was about between five and seven. Um, it, it was awesome growing up out here. And I definitely, uh, one thing that was cool about taking you hunting is, um, someone that didn't grow up around here. And I was talking with my brother about this yesterday that, yeah, a lot of stuff we did isn't normal. And, uh, um, it's like, I mean, I, other than, so like tying my shoes, one of the earliest skills I remember was, uh, my grandpa taught me how to whittle. And when I found out you could sharpen a stick with a knife, uh, me and my brother, we were still running around diapers and we had those little, um, fiberglass. It's just like a little white fiberglass strip with a string on it, like a little bow and arrow. And back then the arrows were still made of wood. I'm sure they're made of plastic nowadays, but little suction cup arrows that you can shoot the fridge with. Well, I took the kitchen knives after I figured out you could sharpen those things. We broke the, the little suction cups off, sharpened a point on it. And we were outside hucking these little arrows and anything that, that moved. And uh, I think when we started shooting at each other, mom took them away. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, it was good. Uh, I was, I was fortunate um, to uh, have a lot of those old timers. I talk about uh, good teachers Um from my dad to uh, the outfitter I worked for, um, Grizz Turner, Grizz and Carla Turner. Um, they got separate. He now owns a operation up in Northwest Territories. It's Raven's Throat or Raven Throat Outfitters. Um, you guys can look him up. But I uh, worked on uh, pack trips and got to see a lot of the country out here, which was cool. Um, and then during hunting season, um, I was obviously in school. And so on the weekends, if you needed like hunters brought in or food brought in or camp brought out, um, uh, I'd go and help out when I could on the weekends. I, I got to miss a couple Mondays because of that. So that was, that was cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I, <laughs> there's one time I, I, I must've been old enough to drive cause I did it myself, but, um, uh, he called on a satellite phone and, and I just got out of a movie on like, I think it was like a Saturday night. And uh, my mom called me and said, Hey, Grizz called on the sat phone. And, um, my, my dad was guiding for him at the time. And he's like, um, they were going to leave camp up there, but they actually need to pack it out. And your dad didn't bring enough mules. Grizz wants you in the thoroughfare tomorrow by noon with five mules to help pack out camp. And so I'm like, it's like 10 o'clock at night or something. So I went up to his house and, um, got all the gear ready to go, slept on a cot in the garage. And then for a couple hours, got up and, um, I ride into the thoroughfare and my dad was the guide. And so, uh, 
this was Sunday and I had to be back at school in school on Monday. And, uh, so I rolled up to camp. I didn't make it man. by noon. I was in there by like three or four in the afternoon. And dad's like, you're supposed to be in school tomorrow. What are you doing up here? And, and, uh, like, here, fine. Take your mules. I'm out of here. And I, he's like, no, 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 I'll stay the night. So stay the night. Well, I got to school on Tuesday and the, the cook on that hunt, his kid came up to me and he's like, are you Clay Creel? Like, yeah. He's like, my dad says, you're a badass. You just went to thoroughfare by yourself with however many mules it was. And, um, anyways, those are just the kind of things that like I, I got to do growing up that I guess, um, yeah, isn't normal for a lot of people. It's, it's stuff that we take for granted. Um, because when, when we're raised, like you're raised around that and you get the phone call, you're like, Hey man, I got to like, I need these mules here because we need to pack camp out or whatever the case is. And sometimes it's a weather window where you're, where you're looking at the weather and you're saying, Hey dude, like we got to get this stuff out of here by X amount of time, or else it's going to be a super shitty ride out or a bad hike out or whatever the case is. And, you know, you use like a 16 year old boy or, you know, and you are at 16, you're a boy still, you know, at 17 years old. And that's a, people would look at that and go, well, you just rode 15 miles into the backcountry by yourself with, you know, people that we know that's normal. Like that's okay. Like that's totally acceptable. But outside of that, people would just be like, you're, you're fucking nuts. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Or, or I would never let my kid do that. But when you're grow when you're raised around it, you grow up around it, it's different. And, you know, we talk about that all the time with, uh, taking it for granted or, um, like just basic navigation skills saying, Hey man, like we we need to go walk in the dark, um, cross country in the, you know, three hours before daylight to get to this spot. So that way we can be in a position to shoot. And, you know, you're, you're walking through the mountains in the dark, no trails, and you're relying on your intuition and your skills. And it's all about, you know, that personal and self-reliance and those skills are taught at a young age and, and they stick with you for the, the, the confidence of that sticks with you for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Um, some of the couple of things that I remember talking about with you over the trip, Clay was just like, um, you know, literally the Kentucky windage or the, 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 the math of, uh, doping your rifle. Um, and one of the things that you talked about with your father-in-law and your, your wife was, um, shooting an antelope at, uh, distance, right. At specifically, yeah. let's say 400 yards. Yeah. And the ditty was imagine you explain it better. So, uh, um, you're shooting a 25 out six and what, what Flint told his kids was at 400 yards, imagine a milk jug on sitting on top of its back and this with a duplex reticle so imagine a milk jug on sitting on top of that antelope's back aim for the cap of the milk jug and uh <laughs> and, and it worked and uh that would um, get the job done dude yeah <laughs> that's yeah that's I mean, so legit yeah it's yeah. like that's the first understanding of of what danger space is yeah, yeah right yeah. that's the first understanding of hey well we don't have the only thing we can do is figure out how high we got to aim so that way we can put a bullet where it needs to go yeah 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 absolutely no um, well, so no, dude, go ahead tell me about tell me about your trip man let's let's hear let's let's jump into it uh so 
first uh we decided um that when we how this all started was uh clay and i obviously uh got to meet meet each other he uh did uh, one of our classes out here pr 101 he also did um uh, mstoa of montana and mm -hmm. then I think at that time, or even before MSTOA, um, we had decided that, or you had, you had recommended that I put in for a specific LTAG. Yep. Uh, so we put in for this unit. I uh, won't say what <coughs> unit it is, but uh, um, I drew and he didn't, but he's like, dude, I'll still take you. And then fast forward to September, uh, a week before the opener, uh, we made some time to carve out uh, to do a scout trip which was super beneficial for me looking in. I'm glad that I ended up doing it because I don't think I would have really understood the uh, country um, as well as I did on my second trip, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then just getting familiar with the horses and, and, and uh, you know, um, understanding all of the fine details that goes into packing, uh, you know, um, uh, horses and, and mules. Uh, and, and that, that's one thing that Clay's been really, really uh, good at. Cause like I said, a lot of people pay a lot of money to, to buy guides, to do these trips. Right. Um, or even rent horses. Right. So I'm very thankful that, uh, Clay, uh, was able to, uh, a go with me, take me on a hunt and B uh, have him use his horses and then also find other horses that he didn't have. Um, so we did the scouting trip and honestly, we only left camp once to get a better area during the scouting. Yeah. Camp. Yeah. We hiked up to, uh, well, tw twice the, the one day we hiked not as far out of camp, but yeah. just to get a little different angle. Um, but uh, we went up to one of my favorite glassing spots and, and where this is at. So there's a lot of drainages out here that are like, it's like steep like this on one side, there's a crick at the bottom. It's steep like this and the other, and this, uh, a really good open um there's two huge drainages that come together and then you've got those little drainages off the side but there's a spot where you can see a ton of country and um uh one of my i guess one of my styles of hunting depending on like in a drainage like that is uh that i learned from my father-in-law was get somewhere here you can see a lot of country and this is hard for me to do because i'm not patient at all uh and glass all day like yep. get somewhere where you can see as much country as possible and um yeah i and uh i learned that when i actually started um hunting black bears and my father-in-law um I killed a whole bunch of black bears and you know hunt with my dad <clears throat> he uh he'd killed a couple black bears but it was kind of you had a tag in your pocket and if you ran into it you'd shoot it um but uh, anyways that's kind of the style that the the get high in glass was the what I want to show you because how open the country is it was burnt timber a lot yep. of burnt timber so it's really open compared to hunting in the trees is completely different um archery hunting depending on the drainage can be completely different and uh but it's cool to show you the area and see where you're going to be hunting and where I've seen elk in the past and some of the migration trails and um and get you used to the horses so that during the hunt we could focus less on um the horses don't do this yeah. and focus more, more on, on the hunt, more on the hunt. Yeah. and it's just good to be out in the mountains yeah. like it was it's good to get to know you a little more spend time away from society and so well, well like we talked about what's nice about uh what was nice about these hunts is that like it's all it is is work right but it's simple work right mm -hmm. uh and when you're in the mountains you need uh fire to keep you warm 
So what do you need to do? You need to collect firewood. Wood. You need obviously water. So collecting water and to eat. That's it. Yeah, I mean, and it, walk. It's, it, yeah, and walk. And it's, and it's as, as, as simple as it sounds. It's like, it's, uh, it's what, what I love, really loved about it is that there's no service period out there. Yep. Right. So you literally have only one thing to focus on, which were those things. And then obviously glassing when we had opportunities for our second trip when, because I think we rolled in perfectly for weather. Yep. Um, so we planned for 10 days. Uh, we left uh, Monday morning. We decided to meet up uh, under dark and um, we picked up one of your horses and, or your, uh, your parents horse for a fifth one. So we had four horses and one mule uh for and that was just for two of us uh that was able to pack out our gear or camp and then um obviously we brought extra for, for uh, the hopes of bringing out a, uh, an elk and it roughly takes us about two hours at the, the trailhead to pack yeah um just because it's you're really it's really actually we we packed it's more like you're packing and i'm just like, you helped out a lot yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you actually jumped in a lot of stuff i was like you know he hasn't been around horses i don't like horse wrecks like i was gonna kind of tell you like hey just it's it's a lot of work for me and i know you're gonna want to help out just let me do the horse thing and man you're just hopping in and untying stuff and helping out i'm like i just double check everything you did you actually you pick up so quick on stuff that uh you're actually more help than you thought um but uh I think we, we got to the, the, we skipped to the start of the hunt. I oh, was yeah. going to back up a little bit. Okay, go I, back. Was, yeah. I was, t- uh, in the scouting trip, I'm like, man, this drainage is a bear infested pig. And oh, we didn't yeah. see any bears. So Just I was like, no bears. I was thinking like, man, Phil's bear repellent. This is going to be a good hunt. And, uh, but I felt like, <laughs> no, you're going to, when we go up for your hunt hunt, because the time of year we did the scouting trip, a lot of the grizzlies are up in the moth fields are up high, getting fat for the winter, rolling over rocks, eating moths. Well, uh, so we didn't see any during the scouting trip. And then like 15 minutes out of the trailhead on your, on your hunting trip, we come out of some trees and there's a sow and two cubs and right next to the horse trail. And um, when you're on horses and you have a pack string like that, you're just massive. Like to a bear, you're a, a two headed six legged centaur. They're not going to mess with yeah. you. But so I hollered a little bit and she took her cubs and ran off the hill. And um, so we kept going and then, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll let you, pick up that i just wanted to go back to oh yeah back to that because i was like man phil's bear repellent yeah we didn't see any bears and like that was one of the things that uh when even our buddy pete when i told him i was getting ready for the scouting trip he's like he's like oh yeah i can't wait to hear about all your bear encounters and stuff like that because they're littered all over the country and i'm like i'm over here and haven't seen a grizzly bear other than like yellowstone right um and i'm like fuck so um we didn't see anything i'm like oh shit maybe i am bear repellent and like literally the first what like <laughs> yeah like five 15, minute five minute not even five minutes into the five yeah the, the trail we uh he spotted uh, a sow with cubs that were running off in the distance so that was cool and then as soon as we pull up into camp we're tying up the horses and fucking clay all nonchalantly is like oh well there's your bear literally in camp walking toward us like 50 yards away and so what do i do pull my camera out like a damn tourist so phil oh, gets his camera out so uh i, I you know grab my 30 30 we just got done tying the horses up and uh and uh i look back at phil and he's filming i'm like put your phone down and get your pistol out and uh so it's coming into camp and so i yell at it and i i I tried to get my dog to bark at it and, and chief, my dog that was with us, he runs over, looks at the bear, 
looks back at me, looks there, and then just waddles back to us. I'm like, you're worthless. And so I started hollering and I shot off in the grass to the right of the bear and, and, uh, and they ran away. Yeah, as soon as but, you shot the warning shot, um, yeah. it took, he took off and then we didn't ever see him again. We found tracks, uh, like I think the next morning or, um, uh, Wednesday morning of him coming back into camp. But a- after that, we didn't see another bear other than just tracks again. Yeah. Um, which was cool. Um, but yeah, so the first day on Monday, uh, we set up camp, took us a couple hours and in, in the intermittent, um, cause we had a lot of weather come through, uh, that week. And so we were either getting hit with like, well, we were con- consistently getting hit with 20 to 25 mile an hour winds, but, yeah. um, uh, we would have some snowstorms that come in and, uh, if I wasn't helping, uh, set up camp, I was trying to glass and, by the time the weather finally let up, I mean, we started glassing and we just saw pockets of elk everywhere. And and, I mean, it was like clockwork, literally what Clay said during the scouting trip. It's like, dude, once the weather comes in, you're going to see this drainage just fill full of elk. And again, like he didn't let me down. And like, and and like the whole time in camp, I'm like, dude, you're spoiling me here. Cause at this point there's just like herds littered all over the mountain and it's like all right you know pick your poison right like figure out which one we want to go after and this is where uh well I, he didn't say it till the next day but um he says patience kills right because you know we technically have x amount of days to be able to do this hunt but we don't want to obviously uh and I, I, at the same time i wasn't being too picky because it was my first elk hunt i just wanted to get the experience of like okay uh, we find a decent one and then we, you know, begin our stock or movement to it. Uh, but we just wanted to see what, um, and spend a whole day of glassing, uh, uh, for day two. So, uh, day two, we were able to pattern our main elk, uh, which is, um, a, le- a term that I, 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 uh, that Clay just taught me of like pattern pattern, uh, because we were trying to figure out if he was, a uh, migrating, right. Or yeah. So there's the area, there's a around this area of the country there's um some local herds and then there's migratory elk um they all move to some extent like even your your local herds that don't go all the way up to yellowstone in the summer to get their picture taken um they're still moving a little bit but they um it generally stay in the area and um when weather moves in elk are tough like to really get a huge push where they're just going through drainage drainage is one after another it takes a lot of snow, but that little bit of cold weather we have can still get a couple herds moving. So if, if like the elk that we saw far off to the right, um, I would say those small groups were probably migrating. They were doing it slowly because it wasn't a huge three feet of snow. Um, but they were, they were slowly working their way down country, um, where, um, even migratory elk will spend a day or two in a drainage, um, you know, weather warms up, they find good grass, there's a lack of predators predators wolves and bears are kind of the the in mountain lines are just predators humans predators in general are kind of the wild card that makes us stuff up but with a lot of herds you'll see them come out to eat in an area and then they'll go back to bed down in a certain area and so that bull with the 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 herd with toto in it so we started naming our bulls <laughs> so the herd with toto in it was uh uh kind of pattern easy to pattern they were living up in this bowl and um eating around and i I think he was kind of hanging in the area for a day or two and um 
maybe I won't get that far in the story yet. But anyways, yeah, I, I was kind of showing them the difference between the like trying to figure out if those elk are moving or if they're if we can get a pattern where they're bedding here and feeding here, then we can start to put a stock together. Like, hey, if we know they're coming out to this ridge to eat every morning, uh, we could go up in the dark, be on this knob, and basically wait till sunlight. They walk out, shoot them, or um, another option was like do what we did. Uh, yeah. we went after them and uh in the daylight we decided to make a move but yeah so day two yeah day two was spent dedicated all glassing clay are those uh where are those elk at in the rut right now are we are we are you guys po- during the trip post rut of yeah. in wyoming in that area so we're post rut um i have a, a I didn't do any archery hunting this year but a lot of my buddies that did archery hunting said it was a really slow year like the bulls mm-hmm. were is warm they were just weren't being aggressive and coming into the call. Now they're, they're still going to breed during that September time. Mm-hmm. Um, the weather does the weather, the moon, all sorts of stuff has an effect on it, but they were actually telling me my archery buddies were like, man, right now at this cold weather, I was just out rifle hunting and uh, there's bulls bugling everywhere. And uh, mm-hmm. so I think some of those bigger, and I was telling Phil this, that I think it was post rut in the fact that, the the bulls that were say the bigger herd bull during the peak of the rut they'll chase all the little bulls out Mm -hmm. and those will turn into what we call satellite bulls um because they're orbiting the herd and if they try to come in the the herd bull will chase them away from the cows well when we were up there there's a bunch of little bulls allowed inside the herd yeah now they're still bugling we saw a couple fighting each other and we saw toto try to get lucky a couple times um but there was other bulls a lot. So I told them also like, look, be looking for single bulls out by themselves because mm-hmm. that, that main rut, even though it was a slayer, that main rut's probably over since they're, they're allowing these smaller bulls in the, in yeah, the, the main herd. The bigger boys are just kind of hanging out and trying to eat and get calories back and replenish and rest and do all that stuff. That's, that's cool. Cause I mean, our hunt here, we have, we have a late rifle tag that's about to open on Monday. Um, that's like our, where, where I took Philip in the blue mountains. Um, that's like a super premier, one of our premier units and our, our late rifle hunt starts, um, on Monday. And it's always, if you don't get screwed by the weather, it's a fantastic hunt. If you know where the bulls are, because by that time they're grouped back up together and, you know, four five, six big bulls hanging out and just kind of, starting to make their way down, you know, to, to, to winter and they're just chilling. So it's a, it's a different type of hunting, but we do the same thing, man. We do like what you talked about is just getting up high, finding the bulls, figuring out what they're doing and then putting yourself in a position of advantage, you know, when you can figure out, okay, well, this is the best move. This is the best time. Yeah. And like I was telling, uh, I, was, I, I haven't told you this, Galen, after my scouting trip is that every hunt that I've been on for every critter, so starting with antelope, then also to my two antelope, my whitetail, and then my mule deer last year, every hunt has been different, right? Yeah. Uh, and the black bear hunt that we went on. So um, I think for for this one, why it was different is because uh, based off of the location that we were at, I think, again, we were in just a, I felt like I was spoiled because we were able to essentially glass from camp, right? We didn't have to move mm-hmm. to higher ground um, to be able to figure out, you know, uh, you know, maybe we couldn't see parts of the country, 
but like even with what we were seeing from camp i mean it was just like holy crap you yeah. know um and yeah so day two we spent uh glassing all day in camp when we when i couldn't see because again we were getting pounded by weather by snow and stuff like that and uh shout out to the stone glacier guys for making awesome awesome gear because I, I mean i was warm the whole time um and um we had a stove inside of our i, I saw the stove that you guys had the video that you sent me and it just no, oh, yeah back to uh to our did you guys pack that out oh uh, yeah we actually we camped at um we camped at the tp trailhead okay just because we didn't know um there's a pretty nasty fire that ripped through there and we didn't know what the spring was going to look like and yeah actually um where you and i camped that's not tenable anymore there's really? all of that is all of that's burnt and it's all widowmaker central and not safe at all that whole ridge line is is no longer safe to camp on dang that's crazy but are you guys still yeah, well, but you guys were still springs hunting that. there but you guys are still hunting that same, yeah we, that we same were just drainage. yeah we were we were just camped at 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 the trailhead and walking in every day and, and walking out every day so that's brutal that's yeah, like that's what, nice. what that's a two mile <laughs> about two or three miles no um, we were averaging 12 mile days yeah, but just just from the trailhead to the start to where to where we were camping at last to where year. we can start. Oh, to well, where I mean, we were camping at three and a half miles. Holy shit! Yeah, I didn't realize we yeah. were doing that every day. We were walking in, you know, two hours in the morning and two hours out, just about every day. Yeah, nice. So, um, it was it was good. Cool. The yes, fire definitely the fire definitely messed with animals for sure. Oh, I bet, I bet. Um, just messed totally with their, screwed up kind of kind of their their habitat. Mm-hmm. yeah it burned up all the dark timber that they like to hang in um on the north face and slopes that fire just kind of got tucked into some of those north face and pockets and drainages and just some some fire went through and kind of like fast and low and burned the underbrush which is great what we want so you can like see into the timber but then there's a couple of pockets where it was just like holy shit you come around a corner and it's just like the surface of the moon <laughs> just straight up annihilated so it kind of, it definitely screwed everything up. Um, so one thing I, I, I don't want to jump into a rabbit hole, but one thing I do want to definitely talk about, I even wrote a note here so I can remember is um, lo- local areas. And what I mean by that is like, if you're new and I think this is why like hunting is kind of intimidating is because, um, you know, a lot of locals out here. And one of the things that Clay was telling me what doing our scouting trips and just him was talking all these different drainages and creeks that are known in the local community. Right. Mm-hmm. That even though now I'm considered a local, I would have no idea what, where the hell these things are. Right. The only experience that I have so far again is my, my mule deer hunt. So like if anything, worst case scenario, if I, if I didn't have any, you know, hunting this year, I knew that I would probably have gravitated back toward that area because I was successful. Yeah, kind of gravitate back to the areas that you've had success in. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I'm super excited and once, to show you as much country as possible because it's... Once you learn more about animal movements and once you learn more about animal habitat, you can start to then branch out and say, okay, well, this habitat over here is, you know, there's no roads within, you know, X amount of distance. Um and it's in, you know, we can hike in and it's great habitat. So yeah, go spend a couple of days in there and, and sit on those high points and just do the sniper thing and sit in glass till your eyes bleed and figure yeah. it out and then say, okay, well, you know what? We're not going to come back here again because there's not very many critters or 
they just might not be using this right now. So yeah, just that's yeah. the way it goes. You can tell your eyes bleed. I got spoiled during the scouting trip, getting used some Swarovskis. Oh, and uh, <laughs> and definitely and, makes a difference. Not only that, his first time using a tripod. Yeah. So since uh. I did what? your guys' of? Yeah. Well, so like I've, oh. I've used spot and scopes with like the little, you know, little three leg, like $30 things that you buy to put. Oh, yeah. And uh, so after, you know, getting some instruction from you guys and learn how to shoot off a tripod, I'm like, I've already got the thing. And I've seen these videos of people hooking their binos in. And I'm like, do you really want to care that to hook your binos oh, in? Dude, like I get a spotting scope, but oh yeah, I clipped some, my freaking binos of that thing. And I'm like, man, the, the dual capability it gives you to, to make a shooting platform and a glass with binos and a spotting scope. And you can keep it locked in and show your buddy like, yep. Hey, just hop on my binos. Here it is. Versus you see that rock up there. Look like mm -hmm. to the left and down and you know, all that. it just, it's a game changer. And you like when, when you're in that midday, you know, when you're in that midday and it's warm outside and that's when everything's kind of tucked in and bedded down for the day. And if you don't have that stability in your scan, you're not going to pick up those movements. You're not going to pick up the ear flicks, the head turns, because you're shaking so much and you really have to be picking that stuff apart. And, and the tripod is like so mission essential. Once you, once you use one, you're just like, Whoa, what have I been missing? Yeah. And, you know, I just sit there and set up my OP and I get nice and comfy with my, you know, with my, my sitting area and put my tripod up and lean, lean them back against my ruck. And I'm yeah. good. We literally, Luke and I, just yesterday, we sat freaking all day long, all day long, just waiting. So very I'm normal stuff the, for us out here too. Yeah. I'm glad you brought the ear flicks and stuff. Cause that's something I was, I was talking to Phil about on our scouting trip with like, after listening to your guys's podcast with uh, um, what's the name talking about priming your Owen about priming your brain and observation. Owen. And so I would have never thought to explain like to feel like what I'm looking for when I'm looking for elk or deer or black bear and all mm -hmm. this other stuff. And after that podcast, I'm like, I asked myself like, what is it that I'm looking for? It's just, it's one of those things I've right. done my whole life that I don't know how to explain. I'm like, how do you know the elk were up there? Oh, cause the, the squirrel told me, you know, whatever. So I'm thinking like, how do I sure. explain and with mule deer, um, I was telling Phil, I'm like, dude, those things blend in so good. Like what I prime my brain for is like microscopic movements. Like mm -hmm. if I'm glassing and I see, I'm like, I think something just moved. Then with the tripod, you can lock it down and be like, okay, look for that. Stare movement. At it. And it might be yep. an ear flick or they turn their head and the antlers move or uh, whatever, but that was, that was something super cool after listening to that podcast. I was like thinking like, what do I look for? And, uh, the tripod definitely gives you that stability to see that microscopic movement way better than yeah. doing the whole, like pull your, your chest rack up and put your elbows on your knees or use the bill of your hat. Yep. And then, um, yep. it was just that tripod's a game changer. It sure is, man. It, it, it'll, and it just for sustainability, right. Just yeah. to be able to sit there for all day long and glass it's it's uh some people don't like it some people some people it really messes with them to go and they look at you and they're just like i've helped out on a bunch of guided hunts and and people that are not used to that type of hunting it just bothers them because they're just like what do you mean we're gonna sit here all yeah. day like yeah, yeah dude like we're up here and we can see such a commanding view like we have glassing spots that like you're talking about our location spots right 
I don't know what's going on in this drainage. I'm going to get up to the highest point. I'm going to see for two miles, right? Yep. And then I'm going to be able to pick things apart and go, okay, there's a group over there. There's a group, whatever the case is. Like this time you're with us, when we see black bears, they're generally going to be in the same drainage, right? If we see one, one black bear, he's going to be in that canyon. Either he's going to be in the canyon to the left, the middle or the right. And he's going to, that's where he's at now. And that's where he's going to be denned up for the winter time. He's not going to stray very far. He's not on, he's not moving. And so you can go there and you can set yourself up the next day. You walk out there in the dark and, and you get yourself set up and hope that it pops back out again. It's that's the, that's Western hunting in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I, and honestly, and for me, I think that's why I like, it was easy for me to kind of gravitate toward the, this craft and learn just because it's nothing any different than what we did in our previous life. Right. It's mm -hmm. just like, Hey, yep. find a, find a place that you can glass, um, and observe for, uh, you know, um, a, a large area, obviously specifically for, for our job, it's only typically just, you know, one main objective, one right? specific but, area, you know, I think now that we don't have to worry about, uh, obviously the enemy, it's like, I can just, I can literally pick the highest point that I can possibly hike to and give, it'll give me a great observation for many avenues of approach for specific, you know, game trails mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. So that's yeah. uh again, that, that was nice. And then without all the extra fucking bullshit gear, right. So like no my comms, pack, yeah, batteries, like, <laughs> like my pack was even with my rifle uh, about four or five days worth of food. I think when we, when we weighed it, um, it was like 47 pounds mm -hmm. uh, and that was only two quarts of water. And I was like, man, that's actually, that's actually really good. You know, that's um, not bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I think that minus obviously the horses, I think I would be okay with, uh, if, if we didn't have the horses, I would have been okay with that, with having that on my back. Um, did you guys do a wall tent camp? No, we didn't bring the wall tent on this one. Uh, it was, um, I borrowed it from a buddy. So I've got a, I've got a teepee tent that you can put a stone nice. in that doesn't weigh anything. And, um, is it a seek, a seek outside? It's a, uh, a Lux. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit cheaper. There's like seek outside and then there's Kafaru or I think are the two like mm -hmm. really high dollar expensive ones. And then you got your cheap Amazon ones. A Lux is in the middle, but I got to say it's held up to, it's held up to a lot. I wish it had a little more room. Um, but, uh, Cause you know, they say six man, take that number, divide it by oh, three. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, yep. yeah, it only fit really like two with gear. Yeah. It's, it's great for two dudes yeah, with Luke's, a stove, a pile of wood and yep. two backpacks. Yeah. We had, we, Luke has a six man seek and we've had that thing in all kinds of crazy shit. And with a stove, um, you can do three dudes with cots, but it's tight like like rucks are outside at that point um yeah, yeah. but it's like super comfortable with two dudes in the stove and you can move around in there and stand up and stretch and especially yeah. if you're if you're buttoned up for the weather it's, it's nice it's a good tent yeah that's that stove makes so much difference i was oh, telling dude. Phil like the one the one place that i am the biggest wimp in the world like so i used to growing up dad would dad would bring a uh like a little walmart type tent now he's got a nicer cabela's one but no stove or anything but after i started hunting on my own um i'd put up a tarp because i didn't want to carry a freaking tent with me whether i was mm -hmm. so i did it with one with horses you can pop out of your sleeping bag and look with your headlamp and see the eyeballs and be like okay they're all still in camp 
once I started doing that and just sleeping under a tarp, I'm like, even if I'm backpacking, why the heck carry a tent in? But mm. there's some mornings when, you know, you, you get back to camp at the end of the day and you're soaking wet and you get in your warm, cozy sleep bag. And then I wake up to my alarm at four in the morning, poke my head out. I see my breath. There's frost and everything. I'm like, screw this shit. And I go back in my yep. sleep bag. <laughs> and uh, yep. so that I'm, I'm a wuss about getting out in the cold. I don't like, time. I don't like being cold, man. I'm, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, and I've noticed Luke and I are actually talking about on this last trip. And it's like, we're, I think as we, as we get older, where I'm way, way more sensitive to the cold, man. Like, like I, we were sitting out, it was blowing 30 plus on this point. And it was just, it's not cold, but it's, you know, 45 degrees outside raw temp and then 30 mile an hour winds on top of that. And you're in it all day long, dude, I had every piece of clothing that I brought on, like, you yeah. know, and I'm just sitting there super cozy, but you know, it definitely gets worse and worse every year. I notice I'm like, man, I'm just getting more sensitive to the cold, but the TP tent at the end of the day with a, with a, with a stove in there, dude, it's so nice to just wake up and, or in the, at the, in the morning and fire that thing up and get it nice yep. and warm in there. That's, that's yeah. the way to go, man. For you sure. get so hot where you like getting dressed in your underwear. It's like, Oh, yeah. snow outside yeah. and uh by the time you get dressed you're like it's so freaking hot in here i need to get out in the cold and yeah, uh exactly you can actually wake up to that alarm at three o'clock in the morning well, and yeah like... <laughs> and, it, and it like dries your stuff right because like yeah. oh yeah. you know um yep. again like one of the one of the hardest things especially when you're in a sleeping bag if you just have your merino wool layers on is putting on like a damp set of clothes <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. that's one of my worst that's like one of my worst things is like putting on like the the pants when they're like super damp it's like now i gotta wait for my body heat to heat these things up and it's just like yes you you gotta put those in your sleeping bag dude i know dry out in your sleeping bag yeah just put them in there and sleep with them they'll dry out yeah man Uh, so you guys uh, found your you guys found the you guys found the bull you guys wanted to shoot when yeah uh well so after we patterned him on the second day i think so we didn't see him come back out that night uh we but we were able to watch him all day literally because he was like literally chasing around cows and you would watch him bugle and this is like two thousand yards away i had had uh, phone scope footage up on my instagram and um he was trying to get it in and uh, but out of all the bulls that i saw scattered across the uh the um the drainages i think it was a bit he was for sure uh, yeah, he was by the far the biggest one and, and what i really liked about his feature was the fact that he was super wide um mm-hmm. And so we were like, all right, we're, we're going to go ahead. Like we, we wanted to move no matter what on Wednesday uh, or in day three, um, whether it be like just a glass, a certain area, or even just like, cl- you know, close the distance to get a better look at him. So day three, we decided to um, saddle up the horses uh, to take us to the uh, bottom of the, of the mountain that we were going to fucking ascend. Um, and uh, we started our ascent like at like 11. Yeah, it was pretty late in the morning yeah it took me a while to get the um saddle but uh do we we hiked up and obviously i mean i knew this from even just uh from from being a sniper and stuff like that but like obviously the country that you're now that you you were glassing the day is completely different when you're actually on the ground walking yep. up that thing you know and mm-hmm. um, we ascended and it took us a couple hours um but we ascended up to 9500 feet uh, just maybe like a hundred yards from the actual top of the mountain. And, 
we we went to the location and it was weird because that first wind wasn't in our face like wind was like switching back and forth and so as we were coming as as clay was coming up with his, his game plan was like all right uh let's come around here um you know at least winds will be in our favor and uh by the time we got to the top uh of the bench that we thought that he that him and his herd because he had a huge ass herd with him yeah like he had probably at least 30 35 head elk with him between that bull know, had 35 cows no he had again he had the pilot there's like there was like three or four smaller bulls a couple spikes and yeah. then like three or four like four by five by fives that were hanging around but there was like at least 20 to 25 elk and yeah. and uh, i bet there was 30 cats. all together with the the couple little bulls that were in there yeah. with toto yeah so it was like it was hard to miss that specific that herd right yeah uh but but uh when we went up to the bench it was empty uh you would just see their sign of um uh, we, like the oh, day before yeah the, from stuff, the day before yeah. but because we got pounded with snow we had probably another couple inches and we knew that the top did like all of their tracks and stuff like that got aged so mm -hmm. it was tough to see but that morning wednesday morning before we actually pushed out i got like a little 10 minute window and uh, we saw this other herd uh further west of where we where where our original bull was and he was lower in elevation which was nice and at first i thought it was the same bull and, and, um, after looking at him and after he showed us his angles, it was a completely different bull, but he was super nice. So I named him Bruce literally like at the last minute. So like, I was like, all right, even if Toto is a, is a, is a wash, we've got, we've got options. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so by the time I got to the top, we stopped to grab some lunch, got out of the, the wind. Cause at that point, wind was dominant from our West. So it was nice because we were going to start heading West along the Ridge. And now wind was in our favor to yeah. be um, downwind of them. And the, the when we were glassing the day before too, one thing I was thinking about as we we're going up there is like if we winds usually blown from the west and it was switchy on us in the morning, but after it settled in, I'm like once we get to the top, even if he's not there, <laughs> uh, there was the bull that you saw that morning, and then um, the day before that we were seeing those other elk that yeah. were further to the west of us and. Uh, I know like once we get weather that whole hillside's usually you're gonna find bulls there so once we got that elevation it's like even if he's not there we can side hill and, and we're gonna we're gonna see stuff below us and there's that one herd up above us we named it uh suicide. the cliff suicide like cliff because uh you named you named the cow elk martha i think that uh, martha would walk to the edge like like the night that we set up camp and then the the end of uh day two of glass and martha be standing out on top of the cliff i'm like don't do it martha you have so much to live for <laughs> and, uh, anyway like she go right to the point of this thing it's and, literally uh, like they send out like a like they send out like a little scout to like check out the area like all right yeah like, yeah this is like like all right let's see if there's anyone you know and there'd be just two of them by on the on the cliff and within i don't know 10 minutes after yeah. after them just uh standing there you would see the herd behind her start walking down and start mm -hmm. feeding so and we, was, and we never cool. saw the the herd bull of that yeah, herd, never that would bull. be somewhere above us so it was a pretty safe gamble that even if toto wasn't bedded in the spot that we had in pattern that there was going to be more herds to the west so definitely glad we went up there Why yeah you continue with the no, so, there. yeah so we so we moved what 500 yards along the we, we maintained the high ground because yeah. we wanted we knew that okay we were higher above that uh 
herd that we saw Bruce at. And so as long as we maintain the high ground, we'll look at, you know, look in the draws and the fingers along this mountainside. Um, and then maybe we moved like 500, we moved past uh, the uh, suicide, suicide uh, peak or suicide ridge, whatever we want to call that a little, uh, it's like a, a conglomeration of rocks and cliffs. And then uh, I think you stopped to glass and then we, you saw yeah. one cow. Yeah, and then you walked like, oh, me in. What was nice, we were talk, we were working on our talk-ons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then by the time he walked me onto the cow, I saw her. And then as soon as I like saw the cow, he he was already glassing up uh toward uh, on the higher ground, yeah, uh, in that same general location. And then I just hear, Well, there's your bull. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And um, dude, immediately like I'm like my heart's fucking pumping because um uh, when when he lays it, it was like I think like 800 within 800 yeah yeah we were we were outside that shooting distance but in a really good spot higher in elevation and the wind was right like we knew we were going to be able to get a yeah a stop yeah he was ways away and then um one thing that's cool was um i'd come up with a plan in my head to like okay how, how would we get into shooting range and where you're already you're already a hunter like you're just learning the area out here like is you had a plan to stock upon after i thought about my plan and your plan i'm like actually yeah yours would work a lot better and uh so that was kind of cool that uh you know for your first elk hunt like my first elk hunt i'm following dad he basically did all the work and uh like you came up with the stocking plan to get in that shooting distance and uh that was that was pretty cool and we talked about this the other day is like i feel like i'm pretty confident from the time that I decide to shoot something like from the stock, to the shooting portion, I have a general idea of, you know, just from my previous life of, of like what to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we, we put a spotter on him and then, you know, uh, clay asked is like, all right, do you want to go with this bull? And honestly, like, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm good with this experience so far. We saw a freaking bear in camp. We saw a bison came through camp, you know, I oh, took cool. my ass off. And like, I was like thinking like, man, I don't like if, if I pass up on this, if I play the pass game right now, I don't know if I could do this again, like have to hike up. Cause like we fucking, <laughs> that, shit, that shit, dude, especially in the snow, man. Um, snow and so down my, timber dude, are two things that suck yeah, and they really suck yeah, together. Yeah. Cause, we were, timber, yeah. Yeah, Cause we were off the trail completely uh, when we yeah. started hiking up and um, I was like, man, like we'd have to spend all day the next day glassing in my head uh, Wednesday and then or uh, on thursday and then i probably won't shoot anything until friday i was like no i'm i'm good with this one uh, i'm not i'm not picky so we decided and then yeah uh clay came up with his game plan i was like hey how about we maintain the high ground we, we just go back up um uh, a little bit, a bit higher and that will that there's enough terrain features um that will mask our movement and um he's like oh that, that's good yeah. and then um so just like a freaking just what I remember, or just, you know, one of the things that's ingrained in me is like, all right, uh, get one good glass, good reference point of where he's at. Cause as soon as, you know, because there's so much timber, it's, it's very hard to pick out exactly where he's at. Uh, but I knew that once I had a just general idea, I could use that general area to make sure that I could keep something between him and me, mm-hmm. not even only him, but his whole herd too. Cause that's one thing that clay was telling me is like, it's like, we don't want to get too close because those cows can really give away your position yeah cows bust a lot of hunts because you know especially mm-hmm. if when the bull's like he's focusing on the cows and uh the cows are laying there the ones that aren't getting chased around they're looking around and um mm-hmm. 
So it's like, you kind of got to be aware of where all their eyes are at. And, uh, um, so yeah, I was, I was thinking, and I was trying to range it and do angles and stuff where I was thinking, you know, from where we were at, when we spotted him, if we drop back completely out of sight of everything in the draw, um, go down and then, and then pop up inside hill. But I think we still probably would have been like 500 something and could have been a good shot could have not been a good shot but your plan going up and being in sight of the cows but far enough away and like you said having those terrain features in between us that was a good move because after we got past and didn't bust them we were able to get down to a closer distance than i think my plan would have got us i think we'd have been belly crawling under logs for a while (laughs) my plan so uh that worked out awesome yeah we we uh so we decided to stock maintain the high ground and we before we left once we got kind of out of sight, we laid some areas that would potentially close our distance to within 400 um, of your like uh, vantage points and or essentially firing positions. So like, all right, we'll we'll try to go there. And so we we uh, got back on the high ground. This is where I, uh, at this point, I took my rifle from uh, being slung on my uh, on my pack to uh, carrying it along with the sling uh, mm-hmm. to put my trigger cam on it. And then uh, put my uh, trekking poles up on my uh, on my pack, and just made sure my tripod was ready to deploy. And then, uh, then yeah, we we got down to that area that that firing position, and um, couldn't see him because there's just too much vegetation or too much timber in the way. So we dropped down a little bit further, um, and then finally we got a good clear uh, a view of him, and that brought us to 465. <coughs> And so we got the phone scope set up. Uh, Clay was watching him as I was like playing all my camera gear, right? And uh, and dude, first big ball and you're dicking yeah. around with camera gear. So so dude, okay. So this is the best part. Is so like as I'm dicking <laughs> around this camera gear, Clay's watching the bull the whole time. And like, I mean, I, I and I and I would go back and watch the footage too. And like, there was like plenty of opportunity <laughs> with him just completely broadside that you can just hear Clay's like. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> so right behind the shoulder. I didn't want to like, like, uh, he was already at, like, when we we're sneaking up, he's like, I look back and, and he oh, smiled yeah. at me and he's like, dude, my heart's pounding. And I'm like, so I don't want to add anything to his stress. I'm like, I'm just, he's a good shot, which is one cool thing about taking, taking Phil hunt. I'm like, I don't have to worry about some people I take out. I'm like, are we going to be chasing wounded animals? Like, anyways phil's yeah. gonna make a good shot i'm gonna let him do his thing but i'm looking at the bull through the phone scope and he's got his trigger cam on and i've got his his phone hooked up to the scope and i'm like oh, i'm like why isn't he yeah. shooting i've got my so he's got a muzzle break so i've got my dog wrapped in my legs and i'm covering up my dog's ears and right, uh, right. and i'm looking i'm like why isn't he shooting and i look up and he's screwing with his tripod with it's got a camera with the side view and i want to be like phil keep your effing face on the gun <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah no shit dude. get in there and, and shoot that thing and the, so i told him i told him afterwards i was like i didn't want to add to to, to stress or anything but um i was like thinking of like is keep your face on the gun motto and i was like yeah for sure that's awesome give him yeah. hell man so so uh the whole time because so we we closed the distance at 465 and at least I, at first i was weary about it because i wanted to get within 400 because again what's in the back of my head is like how long it's gonna take me to get there and it's bear country, right? So, like, I, I think I told Clay, I was like, I want to get within 400. So when we, when I was put at 465, and we had at least 10 to 15 mile an hour winds. You can see it in the in the in the mm-hmm. video. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I was like, man, like, again, I want to put that bullet exactly where it needs to be. Not like, oh, I've got this area, right? Because I'm shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor and, you know, uh, everyone has their uh, opinions on the 6.5 Creedmoor and stuff like that at Elk. But anyways, um, in the video, you see me contemplating getting closer, finding a different position to shoot um, and complaining about vegetation that's in the way. Uh, because as you're looking through this phone scope, I've got, I've got, uh, uh, tree branches and limbs that are just above, uh, above him closer to me. Right. And right. I'm like, dude, I'm going to hit that. Right. If I, if I shoot this, um, I might, I might hit that, but he can't, but clay can't hear me because he's got his earplugs. I've got my earplugs and I'm, All I'm, right. I'm in front of him. So he's not, he's not sure why I'm not shooting, mm -hmm. but it's because I'm like, I'm like. I can't shoot. There's veg in the way, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to hit that. I was going to ask you about that actually um, with the, the branch. So at one point when he was, there's those two trees and there's the branch going like this. And so he, he walked out and I'm like, right there, I think it's going to hit the branch. And what you told me about it after, and I don't remember, did you have a, like kind of a, a formula or you said you knew you dialed like yeah my, three, my whatever my dope was two mils. And I know yeah. that whatever you dial to, that's where you're, that's where you're, your max order max is also going to be yeah. roughly around the same gotcha. uh, uh, of what you dialed. Gotcha. Because mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, like, like I knew that's where, because that's where the bullet crosses the line of path and then it's mm -hmm. dropping yeah. after that. I didn't know if you, did you ever range that tree to see where the branch was? Like, I was guessing maybe 50, it's probably 50 to 75 yards closer to us or maybe even 100 yards. Oh, I guess I didn't even, the I didn't bowl. Think, yeah. And I, I just did, that's something I didn't know if you'd, um, if you just look at your max ordinate and then be like, okay, if there's anything between that and the, the vital zone that I'm aiming for, yeah. better just play it safe. And instead of being like, okay, it's, it's three quarters of the way at target. So I know the bullet's going to be like here and it'll clear it. Um, no, I, I didn't think I was thinking about any of that. I just yeah. thought, I just saw the vegetation in the way. I think okay. because mainly I was dealing with all the like, other camera stuff yeah, yeah. that I just saw shit in my in my potential yep, yep. trajectory path and i was like mm -hmm. i can't i can't shoot yeah um but finally by the time he like skirted off toward one of the edges that or like away from one of the branches i was like okay i feel confident there and then that's when like like i knew if i didn't shoot him now he it was going to be another probably like 10 minutes before he gave me another window because like mm -hmm. if you look in the trigger cam like he is barely on like his his front leg is barely being covered up by um, uh, a tree. So like he literally yeah. just gave me his his uh, his uh, his lungs there, and so I was like, all right, I'm ready to pull the trigger. And so I looked at the wind. I saw the wind was uh, at consistent uh, right to left because of the snow. And then uh, I gave a, a I knew because I, so at that point I was shooting at 8,500 8, feet. And um, I knew I had about a nine, 10 mile an hour gun. So my distance to target was 465 corrected. It was about 420 uh, because I was shooting at a 25 degree angle uh, shot off a tripod. Um, and uh, that's another thing that I was messing with was like trying to figure out a good position because at first I wasn't sold on the tripod because of the wobble zone that I had. And I was like, all right, I just need to relax. Cause again, like I'm not having target panic, but I, I'm, I'm literally like, obviously with the adrenaline, right. It's my first bull. Like, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, extra added unnecessary movement there. And, uh, you know, of me preaching, put that bullet exactly where you want it. So I was like, all right. And you can hear me breathe. 
And then I added, I, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to use five tenths. So I held five tenths, exhaled, pressed the trigger. And I, I thought I saw him soak up the bullet just because of that, that little, like that, that thing. Um, but it's so very, it's very minimal on a six, five Creedmoor. Right. Mm -hmm. um, compared to maybe a, even a, cause obviously all the other animals that I've shot the smaller animal, I mean, they just, they've just dropped, but because mm -hmm. I was so conscious about putting this really right behind the lungs or in the lungs versus like on the shoulder bone. Um, mm -hmm. All I just saw him was move and clay. I heard clay say, Oh, you got him. So when he ran out into the open, just for good sake, just for good measure, he stopped, gave me yep. get another good broadside shot. I put another, I put Turn another one in him. Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, your, your shots were beautiful and cut up the lungs and they're both like a couple inches apart, right behind both front shoulders through both lungs, like yep. perfect shots. Yeah. And so I was able to watch him go all the way down because uh, Clay had lost him uh, to the spotter just because he was, he's not familiar with my, he, I, he was using my ascend. He's probably not mm -hmm. familiar with my joystick. So I was able to watch him um, the whole time as he went down, uh, which, you know, again, uh, 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 I'm, and I'm hopefully I don't ever, you know, I'm not an experienced hunter by, by any means. Um, but I, like I said, I do know one thing and it's uh, the simple fact that as a shooter, and this is something we preach in our classes is that the shooter should already know um, and the spotter is just there to confirm what the shooter should know. Right. Right. Um, and as the shooter, so, you need to be responsible for managing your own recoil, follow-up shots, especially if you don't get the desired effects. And that's exactly what uh, I implemented in this shot. Right. So could you, yeah, like I've watched your trigger cam footage and I, I watched that all go down and it's very difficult to see the, that animal's reaction to being shot because it's such a big animal and you you didn't hit any bone and so therefore that bullet is just carving a hole through those through the through the tissue and it's such a big animal and it's happening so fast it most likely doesn't understand what happened and it's just gonna say okay well something bothered me and it's gonna keep walking and if you have the opportunity to shoot it again but could you see could you see where your bullet hit or did you see anything behind the animal? Did you nope. see any indication of where it hit? So it's, it's funny that you, it's funny that you, you brought this up. And, and honestly, after this, I don't think I would bring a six, five Creedmoor to shoot an elk again because of that, because if anything, because you're based not off my, yeah, like I was able to manage recoil, but because of my adrenaline and stuff like that, like I wasn't able to really see, like I saw him so soak up the bullet, but I don't know where he soaked it up. Sure. Right. Yep. And I was just hoping mm -hmm. that it was a good shot initially. And I was like, all right, well, that first one, Clay said it was good. So I'm just going to hold the same exact wind bolt again. Sure. But I didn't know. Did you hear, exactly did you hear the bullet hit it? No, no. And I, had, too windy. I had my, I had my foamies in and yeah, it, was it, was, windy. it was, it was pretty windy, but uh, I could see yeah. the trace really well, uh, go right, right through the, right by the tree. Um, and, uh, I, was drawing that line on the bull like i told phil like behind the front shoulder halfway up the body um because i mean if you're going for a heart shot you can aim a little lower a little further left depending on the bullet and if you're going um in the angle mm -hmm. the, the elk and stuff but uh i told him like my ideal shot because i like eating the heart is try to get both lungs 
And if you have yep. to run a little shoulder meat to make an ethical kill, like do so. But it mm-hmm. also depends on the caliber. And I wasn't, I was waiting for you guys to bring up the six, five Creedmoor thing. Cause, uh, and the seven, so what was cool about you videoing that and, and you guys are so good at sharing information that, um, that video, the little deal you posted, like the three minute one, like, um, where you can see the lungs. Okay. And there's, you can see both shots in the lungs and there's a little circle. Like, I don't know if you guys are going to be watching the video. If the public's going to be watching the video, this, but there's circles about that, but like say two inches, yeah, two inches, two, about, two, about two inches, a, yeah, around, two inches the, wide, yeah. around the hole. So shot a lot of critters that distance with seven mag, 28 nozzle, 300 wind mag, whatever. And you saw my antelope lungs. Yeah. Um, and, for, and from that angle, what it does and the amount of damage it does. So I hear people say they're buying a 6.5 Creedmoor to long range elk hunt. And it makes me sick because at 400 some yards, you saw the amount of damage it do, uh, that did. So at that distance with any of the the three calibers that I mentioned and actually my first couple are with the set my dad's seven STW but anyways the only reason you if you get a double lung shot the only reason you can tell that that's the lungs is because the little tubes that come off of the esophagus there's like enough lung material left of the front that you're like this is where the lungs used to be but they're not there anymore it's not two little holes in the lung it's the lungs are destroyed and um it does give you a little bit of what so you think about your um your shot with six five cream or how much energy the speed it was going yep 2000 imagine 800 yards like twice that distance yeah yep. and people are trying to shoot elk at that distance with a six five cream yeah, more and they're not a good shot either <laughs> like, so interesting um cody's cody's kid um he shot a bull uh last week at 920 yards with a creed more and killed it with one shot yeah. You know, he hit it yeah. right. Actually, he hit it in the neck, in the neck shoulder junction, like right there. Okay. Oh, wow. So yeah. he got a, he basically got a mechanical, he got a mechanical stop on that animal, just crushed it, dropped yeah. it. So yeah. I'm not saying that like, cause we had that terminal performance class, um, just last week and actually week, well, week before last. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's a very, it's a contentious topic. And yeah you have, there are so many circumstances that have to be just right in order for shots to work. And sometimes even when a shot is perfectly placed, it doesn't work. Right. You know, we've all seen that they do do weird things. And so sometimes as well, like animals are, animals are tough. Animals are super tough. You know, if you have an animal that's in fight or flight mode, um, and they're not wounded bad enough, they're going to go for a long ways. They might eventually expire. They will most likely eventually expire. But by the time that they've traveled that ground, you've now lost the ability um, to to track blood or to track tracks or physical tracks. You know, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that go into that. And I, I agree with you. Like my, I am not going to, I'm not going to select a six, five creed more to shoot elk. If I have another option. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Um, if I don't have enough, another option, then the range of the target is going to dictate whether or not 
you know, that animal is going to um, be killed responsibly and ethically with that cartridge. Yeah, agreed. Like you said, there's so many factors like uh, mm-hmm. bullet. I don't think a lot of people understand bullet construction very well and how it, yep. how that is affected. So uh, like I said, six, five cream or not my choice for elk, but the elk pills that I just loaded up for my wife's elk hunt is my six millimeter Creedmoor 85 grain Barnes bullet. So solid copper and the range her dead. Like if it's 310 yards, no, it's, it's, she's 300 yards. Is the 300 yards. It's going 3,500 feet per second, hot little load, but it's also, so it's solid copper. And so people might say, okay, a six millimeter Creedmoor can kill off. It's like, yeah, okay with the right bullet and the right shot placement. The reason I did that, like I'd be comfortable. I've shot a couple animals with the 108 ELDM. Mm-hmm. I will not, the circumstances would have to, I would take that elk hunting, but, and I would only take the shot if I could slip it behind the front shoulder through the ribs. Um, and I was comfortable with the wind conditions, knowing that mm-hmm. it's not going to hit the shoulder because that's going to explode. An elk shoulder is so thick. It's not going to go yep. through. Right. So with my wife, 300 yards and under that solid copper bullet's going to go through if she does it and she's really good about shot placement her dad sat her down with magazines as a kid he she had like a bunch of siblings and he'd sit her down with the cabela's magazine and and uh bugle magazine like, where would you put yeah where would you put the bullet really good at shot placement so let's say at 200 yards she knows the shoot behind the shoulder perfect broadside shot knows right where the lungs are at but she jerks it and it hits the shoulder i know that's still going to go through the shoulder into the vitals and mm-hmm. um i also know her limitations with the car causing up damage like that uh i'm glad you're you're back and i was going to ask you about your experiences with the because you're shooting the one in 80 grain eldm and the the seven psalm right yep yep yeah so that's i think that's one of the killing us bullets that um i shot uh i had a load in my seven mag a load in my 28 nozzler and I think I took my buddy hunt was using that bullet, killed a couple animals with it. And that bullet, like, um, does it just kill shit? It's, it's, it's awesome. So it's, it's a match bullet, but again, bullet construction, like I've chopped a bunch of bullets in half to see what, like with the LDM, if you compare it to like, say the 175 LDX and you chop it in half, there's a big air pocket behind the tip of an LDX. And it's, so it's a big hollow spot behind the tip. And so, the animals I've killed with an ELDX, like everything on this necklace, that's what this is a 200 grain ELDX, expands really quickly. And then it's got that little, I think it's a sorry excuse for an interlock ring, but this little burr inside the bullet. Yep. And I've always had jacket and core separation, but the ELDM, it almost, it doesn't have that big air pocket. It expands a little slower and most of the wound, and it's a high sectional density. It's not the 14765 ELDM, it's not the 162 grain, seven millimeter ELDM, the 180 grain ELDM, really long bullet, expands slower than a lot of match bullets. And the the wound channels that I've seen in animals, it looks almost like a bonded bullet, like a like wound channels I've seen from a nozzler Acubond. I love that yeah. bullet. And it's a match bullet. I like it better than the ELDX. It's a it's the match version, but that's We've, the 180 grain, anyways. I, I haven't been able to, um, the last couple critters that I've killed with that, that bullet, uh, shot, um, the mule deer this year that I killed was, um, and not the best representation, just the way that deer was positioned. Um, I shot him in the shoulder and I hit the shoulder blade. It blew apart the shoulder blade and, um, 
then I, he was kind of like laying downhill bedded. And so he kind of like slumped over and I knew he wasn't dead. And so I put one right between the shoulder blades, right into the spine. And that bullet just, just like a little nuclear explosion went off inside that thing. And, and it was over with. So, um, and no exit no exit through the brisket. Right. It was just completely came apart and it was over with. So, and the other bullets, uh, the other critters that I've killed pass throughs, um, exceptional bullet performance, even at extended distances. And I've had great, great luck with it. Um, I was just super surprised at, um, super surprised at seeing that bear, uh, this past week, which is, you know, it is a bummer. It is what it is. Um, and, uh, it just like, it just goes to show you that even if shot placement's good, sometimes the condition or the, or there could be something that you didn't see and, you know, it just ends up happening. Right. And these animals are tough. They're, they're, they're designed to survive. Like they're designed to continue to survive at all costs. They don't understand. They don't have emotions. They don't understand anything other than survival. That's it. Right. So you don't have any psychological aspects that are happening like that we would with, with humans when it comes to getting shot, like you literally have to destroy enough tissue to cause that thing to bleed so that it dies. Like that's all we're trying to do or render it immobile with a mobility kill, which I don't even think is, I don't like doing that. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't like doing that. I don't like walking up on critters and have them still be alive. Yep. And that's their thing about the range too, and the country that you're in, you know, if it's a, you might have a, a 300 yard shot, but it takes you because there's a drawing between you. Like a <laughs> yeah. perfect example is the, uh, my first black bear, he was right below me, like three, 400 yards right below me, but I'm on top of this cliff that to get to him, I got to walk a mile around mm-hmm. just to get to him. And just so to get down there, there's people that shoot out here at, extended distances and they're like oh it was dead right there they hit it in the spine it dropped right there i guarantee it suffered for a long time uh just because it dropped doesn't mean it's dead but it took you three hours to get there and by yeah by the time you got there it was dead Um, but the the you know how long it's going to take you to get to that animal after you make the shot is something that um yep it's a big deal be aware of yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, the buck that I killed last uh, two, two, three weeks ago, it took me five hours to get to him. Yeah. So, you know, and that's just because of where he was and, and yeah. that's just the way it is in that particular area. And that's the, you have to have that in your mind when you make that shot, you, yeah. you got to understand that you got to be like, Hey dude, what's the recovery look like for this position for this particular shot? So you could get yourself into a situation where, you know, you shot this critter, but guess what, dude, the only thing you're going to be carrying out that's, that's useful is, is the antlers because you might not be able to get to it in time to process it and, you know, save meat before predator gets to it, whatever the case is. Um, you know, that's, uh, that actually happened to Cody. Like he, he, he had predators get back on his animal before he could go back and get it all. So it happens. And you guys know that, I mean, you know that more than anybody else. Yeah, we ended up actually having to stash his meat on this one because um so after uh yes actually, wait, let's wait, get so, backtrack and get back to that. Let's so so you make your you make your shot, Phil, yeah. right? You make your shots, the elk tips over, you're good, he's on the ground. Now what? 
what are you guys doing now? The work begins. <laughs> the work begins. So we so we go down, we bomb down the hill. It takes us probably like uh, 30, 45 minutes to get down to them. Yeah. Get our pictures. And then, you know, uh at this point, the the uh the clock is racing against us because I shot him uh late in the afternoon. Um, I think I shot him at like four. Uh, and we get to him at four forty-five. Oh, so we, yeah. we have an hour and a half, maybe hour forty-five minutes of usable daylight before um, sun uh, sunset. And literally, by the time Clay uh, and I got done courting, and it was more, mainly Clay show, just because again we were we were like I wanted to do it, but because like the last thing that we both want to be doing is have yep. a carcass with us in the fucking and- back. Yep, with bears and bears. So yeah, so I was like, dude, I know you want to help, but I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead. So hey, today, uh, hold this, get yeah, your yeah. hands out of the way, yeah, and let yeah. Me get yeah. to work. Well, actually, yeah. he, he's he's like holding the guts to keep his hands warm dude, too. And yeah, it's, uh, oh, my hands warm. were warm, and he's freezing. I'm like, yeah, hold on to the gut pile. Yeah, That's I was like, I was like, <laughs> keep your hands warm. And I was like, well, so I was getting some videos. Obviously, once we finally gutted him open, because at first we were just quartering him. So we quartered. Oh my god, dude, the fucking high legs. So they ended up being uh what's like, 70, like 75, 75 pounds, something like but that. like like even just trying to pick it up, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> to get it out of the way. Yeah. And then uh dead so meat we got is the, literally yeah. dead weight. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. And so elk have a lot of it. <laughs> we, uh yep. and, and then when I was actually so you know, the the as as I was trying to be productive and 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 from a teaching standpoint while Clay was gonna so like what I wanted to do is get pictures of obviously my my shots uh like what the the lung what happened with the lungs and um if you see my picture of my uh of, of that I post he's actually laying on the opposite he's you see the opposite side of 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 him being shot but you see a little blood spot that's actually mm-hmm. uh, not the exit it was actually fragmentation from his rib cage that that went to oh. the other side mm-hmm. um because none of the bullets exited um and uh really yeah, those really... eltxs didn't exit no no wow yeah interesting so um interesting yeah so we, we got the back i mean fuck the back straps were like just one back strap was like 20 fucking pounds um and so yeah we got the back strap and like my fucking dumb ass didn't have big enough game bags <laughs> we got the I got the, the fucking, caribou I got, size. I got the baby game. It's like, baby, what the heck are the, these? The freaking baby freaking game bags. It's all good. And so uh, the the fronts and the obviously the the hind quarters didn't fit in game bags, but everything else did. Um, but by the time we started moving downhill, and and, and Clay made the decision, hey, we'll we'll, we'll stash these, and then we will uh, we'll come back to the horses because at, at could you get the, the horse? Time, could you get the horses to them? So well, what happened was when we were up in his shooting position the elk dropped and i was like looking while we still i knew by the time we got down there i would be able to see it so i had a view and there's this little like grassy willow patch and uh it looked like the trail was right below that so i'm like okay well we're gonna pack the meat away from the gut pile and the carcass hike back to where the horses are and bring the horses back well after we we get him quartered up and it's dark and we're hauling the meat away from the the carcass um, the trail was lower than I thought, and I didn't take into account all the down timber. So after we dropped the meat, mm. we're walking back to the trail and I'm like, man, there's a lot of down timber here and we could have done it, but I, I made this calculated risk of like, 
do we want to risk getting in a horse wreck? And I, that's what my one, one of my goals for this trip, which got accomplished was I do not want Phil to have to experience no horse, horse wreck, no horse wrecks. And so, um, if we, cause if we try to pick our way through this down timber to get up to the meat with horses and it's that it's got a bunch of bushes like yep, below the timber brush. with the little stobbies, you know, yep. broken sticks coming up and I've put a couple holes in horses legs during the daylight, trying to work out my way through that stuff. And I'm like, I think just calculated risk, we should stash it and then bring the horses back up during, during daylight. I'll be able to look like, okay, right up there yep. on the Hills, the, the meat and pick away through the down timber. Um, mm -hmm. and so that, that's what we did. So yeah, that we didn't cool. risk, uh, um, losing anything. Horse wreck. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, dude, that's not, yeah. You don't want to have nothing to do with that. That's, yep. that's not cool. Yep. I've been, I walked up on one horse wreck. This poor, this poor horse was, he lost his footing somehow and he was in this super steep, super steep Canyon, little, little cut ravine, right. Where like the water comes, a crick cuts through the trail type thing. Yeah. This freaking horse man is like on his back. And the only thing that's keeping him from sliding farther down this Canyon is, is his, his halter, like oh, his yeah. neck's all stretched out. And I was like, man, I feel bad for your fucking sorry ass. Yeah. As the Cowboys are trying to figure out how to like get ropes down there and get it under his ass. And like, I'm just walking by with my back. <laughs> like, yeah. You guys later, dude. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I've seen a lot of horse wrecks. And that's one thing I was fortunate. The outfitter I worked for um, was very anal about how he did stuff. And like, I'll go hunt with other people. Like or, yep. And uh, even my, and my dad's a really good packer. Um, but he's all, he's, he's really quick and kind of like, he'll, he'll pack his horse and be like, you got your crap together yet. I'm like, I take so much time at the trailhead. I'd rather spend an extra hour at the trailhead be late, but not have any problems on the trail. Um, sure. And that's because of seeing stuff like you're talking about for people rushing it or in that situation, I'll bet you what happened. Cause we had one similar on a pack trip is if you tie them up and especially if you're on a hillside and you give them too much lead rope, they'll step over the lead rope. Um, oh. so like I was showing Phil, like you got to time. It almost looks like you're like that can't be comfortable having their nose right up to the tree, but you give them, you know, a good foot and a half tie your lead rope up high to where they can't step over it. Cause we had something similar happen. Um, one of the guys that was with on the trip tied his horse up too long, stepped over it's stretched out hanging from the tree and there's a cliff below it. We're trying to roll it over and not get kicked and had a nice little rodeo. And anyways, um, bet you that's what happens so yeah I, i'm very anal about taking the time to make sure everything's absolutely perfect with the horses to avoid sure avoid that kind of stuff and sure. uh so something phil said made me uh i got a lot of good self-reflection on this trip and uh it's like she's telling me how you know about how how that's awesome that i'm really attentive to detail and packing and stuff and but we also talked about how organization is not one of my strong suits and i'm like I think if I categorize myself, it'd be, I'm the most anal disorganized person that I know. <laughs> well, you're, you're organized. I, I, I totally resonate with that because I'm the same way. Like there's, there's certain things I'm really anal retentive about. And then there's other things that like, I don't really give a shit about that other people would, would look and be like, well, you care about that, but you don't care about that. I don't understand yeah. what, why, why, but um, you know, it's, it's just because you've learned your lessons over, over the times that you've done it. And you're just like, Hey, this works. And so we're going to continue with this path and until something yeah. shows me that it doesn't work anymore, you know? So, yeah. 
um, yeah, it's, it's cool. Cause, and you know, you start hunting with people regularly, you know, like, like you have a hunting partner and that's who you hunt with. And, um, you just learn how to read each other's minds and, you know, you know, exactly what the other person's thinking and doing. And, and yep. you're, you're each one step, you're each one step ahead of each other the whole way. Right. Yeah. And it makes everything way more smooth. Yep. Yeah. And that's something I, I actually just, uh, kind of had a, a, it was cool, really cool on this trip was that my last hunting partner, um, uh, he, he was actually renting a room from me and, uh, he, he moved out and just his work schedule, my work schedule stuff was working out this year. So I got to take Phil and, uh, I, my buddy was that hunting partner that you're talking about. We hunted together all mm-hmm. the time. We think the same way. And it's, it was cool taking Phil and the fact that I didn't scare him off and he wants to go hunt with me again. I'm like, <laughs> it's cool to have a new hunting partner to actually to teach stuff to. Cause I was like, I felt like I still had more experience to give my old hunting partner. And then like, sure. I'm like during this time, like, man, I taught him everything I knew. It's time to, time to show Phil the, uh, yeah, man. Turned, uh, yeah. Anyways. And that's how this that's stuff cool. gets passed on. Right. It's, yep. This is exactly yep. how these things get passed on. And, and like, this was your first experience on an elk hunt. And this was pretty with the exception. I mean, this was a pretty quintessential rifle elk hunt in, in the backcountry of the West, you know, like that's pretty, that's it. Like we see it all the time. Every, our trailhead that we hike into, there's always the same cowboys there every single year. And they always do the same shit every single year. And they just, they know they've just been doing it for so long and they know, they know what the deal is and they've got their system down and they've, it works like a well-oiled machine. Yep. And it's also motivated me to get out. Uh, one thing that's cool, cause my other buddy that it, my main hunting partner, I, I grew up, he grew up here too. And so, um, he, and he doesn't talk a whole heck of a lot. So <laughs> like, but he's been a lot of places that, that I've been and stuff and, and Phil just every Ridge we run around. Like I, like, I know it's around that Ridge. I don't need to go over there. And, and we'd go around that Ridge and Phil's like, man, this is beautiful. Like, look at this. And it kind of opened my eyes to kind of taking that for granted. Like, sure. I love being in the mountains. I know it's beautiful, but it's, it's like, um, your focus is elsewhere. Yeah. And, and Phil's like, man, can we do a summer trip up this drainage? And I'm like, man, this is so freaking awesome. I want to show you as much country, like all these different drainages and these spots. And, uh, it's going to be a motivating factor. That's going to, uh, run in the Hills with Phil is going to get me out more to be like, Hey, I got to show him this place and this place and this place. Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was super cool. And just be a part you of the first experience, the your elk hunt. Was awesome. You guys were covering country on, on horseback and we, we were covering country on foot back <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> a little different yeah yeah man absolutely no, I, it's definitely you know i think there's definitely something to be said for that it's just a totally different experience and um you know there's definitely uh things obviously things to consider that are different and it's nice to be able to come back at the end of the day and only have to tend for yourself you know, oh yeah, when you're backpacking, mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, all I got to do is is take care of my, I got to take care of my gear, my rifle, and myself, and get myself set up for the next day. That's it. Yeah. Repack water, repack chow, and stuff my own face, yeah. and you know, crash out. So yeah, it's not that way. <laughs> when you factor you in did. the horses, like yeah. I, I always tell people, they're this much better than walking. 
And uh, for you guys that are listening and can't see it, my fingers are about like less than a centimeter apart. Um, <laughs> they're with all the other crap that you have to deal with. They're a lot of work. Um, so I almost, I enjoy a lot of my deer hunts. Um, I backpack and I, I almost enjoy it. Like one, cause it's uh good physical exercise. And two, I just don't have to worry about freaking horses. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> so, packing out, a, packing out a mule deer is, is, like reasonable on a solo trip way different than packing you know, out elk <laughs> way different than packing out elk and and yep. phil like your bull was your bulls your that's a young bull too and like a full grown like a big mature eight ten year old bull is bigger than that dude like they get like sometimes you walk up and you're just like oh shit what do i get myself into it's a lot this, of work. this bull is actually pretty big bodied um yeah and one thing I actually, I didn't, I meant to look at the ivories you know, I told you we were going to get those out. We but, uh, oh, we'll yeah. go out there and look at it after the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Go I'm, get I'm gonna, that. I know I need a, I need a, yeah. I need a I'm going to, I'm going to drop them to the, 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 uh, the, uh, taxidermist right now. I'll, I'll probably do it today. Actually. Did you, did you end up pulling a tape on them yet? Clay? Uh, I rough scored him at three twenty seven, but it That's... was like, I, so I also had, uh, I don't have, I've got one of those tapes that long yeah. shirt plus or minus 10 inches. <laughs> like, right. so, you know, I did it really quick, man, wrote down some, I gave that? it, I, I showed my buddy Luke, um, the, the picture of, uh, of the bull and, and he just, by looking at it, he was just like, it's probably about 300, 300 inch bull. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's like, he's been guiding for a long time. He's yeah. seen lots and lots of bulls. Yeah. So, yeah that's a great we, first bowl dude that's awesome oh yeah yeah we walked up to it i was actually kind of thinking that like like 300 or just a little over so when i put the tape to it it actually surprised me i'm like you know it could be it could surprise me because how long the tines were and it mm -hmm. did it was a little bit bigger than i was thinking you know about 327 how long, but uh how long were his main beams if you can remember I remember like I know it was three foot something. So that's the other thing. I didn't have an inch, my inch ruler. I had feet. So I, I wrote down all the measurements and then counted up all the feet times that by 12 and then added the inches right. together. And it was, it was kind of a rough job, but, uh, and math isn't my strong suit, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, they're like three foot something. Um, yeah, 48, which is 48, 50, somewhere just under 50 yeah. or so. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was under 50 um but yeah he was really really good first bull and i was thinking about it i was like actually one of my family traditions is you have to shoot a cow before you cow before you shoot a bull really <laughs> go straight to and there's guys i know that out here that hunt all the time that actually you know lived out here for a while and they haven't killed a bull over 300 so uh that's a super awesome first bull but again it's not about the score it's like the, oh, the experience of it's it i'm the, glad you got the, the yeah. bear in camp the buffalo in camp buffalo gotta camp. see what horse hunting is is kind of about and uh see some new country um whole time you're like man you're spoiling me you're spoiling me you're spoiling me so I'm like, all right let's just go to the top of the he was spoiling me until, until the moment <laughs> that that he was like all right now we gotta take this meat and we gotta bring it to the fucking horse trail i was like shit you know? <laughs> see i when i took phil hunting i didn't spoil him <laughs> yeah 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 no, we walked not. i fucking worked my ass off yep. yeah yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. That was That's good. awesome, man. I'm, yeah. I'm so happy that you, Philip, I'm so happy that you got that experience. And that was the way that you got that experience because, you know, it's, um, I guess, how can I say it? It's, uh, well, it's not the right way or the wrong way or anything, but it was just like, that's like the, the legit quintessential experience of yeah. elk hunting in the West. And that's awesome. I'm super, super happy for you. No, I think yeah, I, nice. I, I really enjoyed it because it, it allowed me to soak everything in, um, especially doing it mm-hmm. with clay and just him and I, you know what I mean? And I think we, we, we talked about this and you know, what would have made this really, uh, and again, I'm not complaining about the bull that I shot, but I think what it would have made it sweeter was actually, instead of stumbling upon this one, actually finding the, the one I was after. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having another probably two people. Um, but I, you know, with that, I realized that obviously with more horses or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, I can't imagine, especially in Grizz country for people that do this and just do it themselves. Right. With like packing out a full elk by yourself. That's, I mean, from where we're at to the actual trail was at least five, five and a half miles. Cause we were from camp. We were at least another mile and a half, two miles in. Oh, so, so wait a minute. So you, from where you shot the, the bull, you packed meat five miles. No, 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 no. We, just, no. we packed, we packed oh, okay. it a few hundred yards, but, but oh, okay. from, from, from where we were at, from where I shot him at to back to camp would have been at least another two miles. And then from camp to, uh, uh, from camp the to the trailhead was another four. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Guess that's, that's not, that's even, that's not even that bad. Um, yeah. you know, you start it's talking like, RM. you start talking like nine, 10, 15, hell, some of these boys that, uh, the older guys, Hell, they pack in 25 miles. Jesus. That's where their camp is, 25 miles in. They yep. like it like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, and we yeah. honestly, we didn't see anybody. We only saw people yeah. on that last day. Yeah, there's a couple people coming out um, on the yeah, last yeah. day. Um, yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, start, it, I'm going to start uh, – Clay, you're going to have to coach me, dude. Let's, let's put in for <laughs> put in for some Wyoming tags. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, I was bummed you couldn't make it down to this one, but uh, yeah, yeah. we, we it, figured out a way for you, next year and... for you as because you, you're not, not a local. I think it's explain. Oh, yeah. So, so, um, I was gonna tell you, had you been able to make it down, that you can get there's some over the counter tags. So, for like uh, mm-hmm. uh, Black Bear and I forget, I looked at so Black Bear and Wolf, but then there's I think you can get I forget if you have to pay if you can buy over the counter, it's just expensive, or if you have to put in for a, a yeah, deer. But either way, if you draw a tag or the ones that you can buy over the counter, I can actually, as a resident, go get a temporary guide license and I can take two mm. uh, out of staters a year. I think it's two. Either way, your ones, that'd, that'd be fine. Um, Hell yeah, man. And uh, then you don't have to pay for a guide because an out of stater that comes to hunts the wilderness area has to go through a guide yep. out here versus yep. national forest. You could hunt without a guide. So I just have to, I just have to stop by the game fish office, get a temporary guide license. And then, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So what's, uh, what's the, what's the non-resident draw, uh, statistics for, for that area where you all are hunting? Uh, is it a crapshoot? Is it something like, it's not very high. Cause I think there's, 
there's like 50 tags total i think out of that uh i forget how many go to an outfitter but it's not even half um yeah, okay so it's that area is not that great but the other thing too is if you put in for general area um phil got lucky and drew this special tag right off the bat but uh if neither of us draw that tag or if you don't draw that tag next year um actually as an out-of-state your chances would be better if you put in for general area elk tag um mm. and like i told phil like all but one of the bulls i've killed have been in general area like there's good areas but that's the hunting like more like you're talking about there's more pressure there so you got to get away from, you got to be willing to go further than everybody yeah. else yep and uh for sure so um which is an experience i'd like to give phil next year and uh, also don't archery. have any problems with that man yep yep and then uh archery hunting is i think another yep. thing that even if you don't kill something it's it's uh i've had more fun archery hunt like the, the bulls coming in and just screaming at you and they're so having that experience of being that close and uh trying to sneak through the satellite bulls and then get the the herd bull to come to the edge and you're like talking to them and you can smell them and uh mm-hmm. it's just that's just a really cool yeah cool i i'm our here in washington state are if you want to consistently hunt elk and have good opportunities every year you truly have to be you truly have to be archery hunting yeah for us because our rifle tags for elk um are dude it could be anywhere from 15 to you might not even ever draw a tag in your lifetime you know, it's actually funny because, you know, I was talking to Luke in this particular area and he's just like, I've hunted so many bulls and I've seen so many bulls killed. I will never, ever get to hunt this unit in my lifetime, yeah. you know, yeah. so it's kind of a shitty thing. It's kind of sucks, yep. but we won't ever have the tag in his, in his own pocket. So, Dang. um, yeah, man, let's do, uh, let's do a cool Wyoming adventure. Let's Heck do yeah. It. No, for sure. I'm all, and, uh, I'm, I'm all down for the adventuring. Heck yeah. Well, if you come down to Cody for a class next year too, I was telling Phil, like even without hunting, there's just some areas we can backpack to Let's or go if I horses yeah. back. Um, there's a lot of good fishing holes. There's heck, there's some camping areas that you can even like that camping area. It's not a campground, but a road that you can drive to that you walk like a half mm-hmm. mile down to a lake and there's good brookie fishing <laughs> and beautiful scenery. And we've, um, we've we'll actually, to, if you can, yep. if you can maybe edu- uh, educate coach us on this, but uh, there's been requests to, uh, for us to do our backcountry hunter course out here in Wyoming. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you know of any spots that we can. Well, so there's one spot that actually uh, for shooting wise, <laughs> that's another spot I want to take you. It's uh, like rock Chuck central. So those, uh, you're talking about uh uh kaylin you call them whistle, whistle pigs, pigs. the yeah. our yellow bellied marmots or i forget the official name but i call them rock chucks and uh so there's a spot that's kind of like heart mountain you know those steep angles crazy terrain features but like you can go out there's rock chucks from 50 yards to as far as your range finder work and if you're like want to go out and focus on a 600 yard rock 600 yard wind calls or whatever there's a 600 yard rock truck down there, up there and over there, you know, like right. just, uh, it's an awesome, uh, shooting spot and, uh, good for, uh, you know, hiking and there's a lot of good camping areas and there's not as many, not camping areas like campgrounds, like, but places you can camp there by water that have a spring. Uh, I let's, haven't seen a lot of grizzlies up in that area. Let's talk, let's talk about that offline clay, because yeah, that's yeah, something yeah. that, that we would love to do. And I'd love to get a, a group call going with you, um, Philip, myself and Luke. 
Yeah. Um, he's, he's my, my hunting partner in the, in the backcountry hunter course too. So, yeah. um, I think that would be, I think that would be super awesome. That would be yeah. actually really legit. Yeah. That'd be super cool. Um, yeah, there's a, and there's a bunch of good areas. That's just one that if you want to practice shooting, there's a, there's a really good shooting opportunity there. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that offline. Yeah, man. Uh, cool. Well, hell it's about a couple hours, huh? Do you know, do you, yep. do you have, a, do you have a timestamp? I, have, yeah. I don't have a timestamp on it. Uh, yeah. You, you, yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to check. I don't, I, it doesn't say anything on recording, but it's been, it's been a couple hours. So but yeah. What'd you think about your first podcast? You're a little worried. Yeah. A little nervous. <laughs> it's like, I can go down rabbit just, holes real easy and I can talk forever. That's one thing I am good at. I can just talk your ear off. Uh, but, uh, I was like trying to be a little quiet, let you guys. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, this is a podcast to tell a hunting story. And, and for those yeah. of you guys that are listening, you know, tell them, tell them some hunting stories. This is the time of year for it. And, you know, you, we, we can all learn from everybody's experiences when it comes to, to this stuff, especially, you know, the shooting aspect of it and how to kind of tie it all back into what it is that we do at modern day sniper. And, and this is, this is the time of year where we put our skills at this point in time. This is what we, where we put our skills to the test, putting, putting metal to meat. So that's you know, it. You know, one of the things that uh, we didn't kind of dive into with, with clay and I'm, I'm sure we'll have him back. I'm definitely going to have clay back on our podcast to talk about kind of the, his other side. But um, now that I'm no longer in uniform of why I train right now that I'm getting into the back and, and actually Kaylin, um, I know this is completely off topic, but when you can um, check out that uh, that email copy that I had written. Um, sure. Yep. Uh, but, I haven't uh, even looked at any of the stuff. I just got back last night. No like worries. Um, but uh, one of the things that Clay, because he's actively in uh, his community, um, you know, not not only do you do competitions for training for hunting, but now to be a proficient um, sniper. Uh, so that's one thing that we haven't talked about that, that he does, uh, locally for, for our community. Um, not in the, in the training right now where our team's in the building phases, um, kind of starting from scratch, but yeah, but uh, I think it'd be cool to talk about that. I think, I think your story would resonate with a lot of, uh, uh, law enforcement snipers that listen to our podcast, but I know this one was strictly hunting focused and it was cool for our hunters to be able to see what it was to, to grow up in Wyoming, to experience, especially guys that might be, there's a lot of even guys that are, um, listen to us that have, uh, an elk hunt. Um, cause I've, ever since I posted my, my picture, I mean, I've gotten tons of messages and it's like, dude, that's a, that's a hunt of a, a dream of mine of a lifetime. And I'm just, again, fortunate enough to, uh, have good mentors, uh, like Kalen, um, and, uh, and then to meeting you to help guide me through my, my journey of learning to be, a as, as, as you guys call it out here, mountain trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's something. If but, that came up, I was like thinking, explain the difference between mountain trash, hillbilly redneck and <laughs> something else. But it's, I think for another tra- time, I think mountain trash is high, yeah, high yeah, up on mountain that. Trash is- and I actually saw a sticker when I was taking Zoe to school. It's funny that said mountain because I, I didn't think it was a thing. I thought it was just... <laughs> Uh, his wife was the one that brought it up at dinner one time and I just thought it was great. And then I saw the sticker and I, I texted uh, clay. He was like, all right, I'm going to have to come up with some weird criteria to. Yeah. Cause well, somebody made a brand out of it. You can buy hats that say mountain trash oh, really? and like koozies that say mountain trash and, and somebody made a brand, but the, the term 
like see somebody wearing that stuff i'm like what's that saying or the there's like that bumper sticker i don't know what it is like brody even lift it's like these people with this mountain trash logo stuff oh, like, oh bro, right. you even hunt yeah, you <laughs> like yeah, yeah. anyways uh yeah somebody yeah. made a it's a local term but it's also somebody made a company that yeah, yeah. yeah it's like it's like it's like uh, uh equivalent to our our on the, on the veteran side of the house i won't name any company but yeah um, i hear cool. you but all right man uh clay sounds thanks for good coming on thank you guys um thanks yeah, for everything thanks, you guys do um the the mighty networks has been super helpful for me like the what we can talk about in future podcasts like my journey of figuring out what is a law enforcement sniper and, and uh your guys's platform for sharing information being able to talk to other snipers outside of a forum where it could be some kid in their mom's basement like you guys have vetted snipers that that i can message and talk to um mm-hmm. and you guys are also phenomenal teachers which is something i recently became an instructor for my agency and uh so while i'm up there hunting with phil and and like that's one thing i'm constantly thinking of is like watching how you guys teach and it's it's awesome and i've learned a lot from you guys so thanks you're welcome dude we're glad to have you man for sure cool all right guys uh hey thanks for uh listening in on this um may or may not post a video up on youtube um if we do it'll just be uh, episode 56 but uh, again, uh, check out our online class or sorry, check out uh, if you're not a part of the network and you guys have been listening to our podcast, you guys are slacking that that network is going crazy. I was actually just uh, uh, going through yesterday, finally catching up and, and replying back to it's a lot of engagement there. I love it. A lot of uh, a lot of good, positive feedback from guys experience with matches or, you know, asking questions about gear, which is awesome. So everyone that is participating, actively participating in the network. Thank you. And then uh, we also have a um, uh, our uh, cast has been working really hard on our um, events uh, schedule mm-hmm. for our classes next year. So check out our website, uh, www.moderndaycyber.com and check out all of our in-person classes for 2022. And um, they're filling up, man. They're, they're filling up. They're filling yeah. up. So <laughs> we will see you guys hopefully in the network or uh, at the range. Until then, we will see you guys um next time you guys know the awesome drill. man well enjoy those enjoy those elk steaks bro yeah when you come over here dude there's so much fucking elk meat dude like yeah <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna bring some home when you or I, either when i go over there or you come here you're bringing some home with you so. sounds good man sounds good right. i still got an elk tag and a bear tag to fill i got uh, i got a few more yeah i got a uh, i'll get the elk done here pretty quick and then the bears are bears are elusive for me man i have not i have not yet sealed the deal and i gotta i gotta break that streak so i got a couple of day hunt opportunities here that are going to be that that are fairly productive so i'm cool. i'm stoked for that so awesome good luck right on guys thanks man all right thanks guys take it easy thanks. clay anytime <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>